You're listening to Trucking Questions from the Audio Road with Kevin Rutherford. This is the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. You can ask questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, tax, technology, or anything else about the business of trucking. Here we go. Let's head on down the audio road. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. And today is the power hour. We take your calls and answer your questions about everything maintenance, engines, troubleshooting, electronics, upgrades, modifications, fuel mileage, horsepower, you name it, we'll talk about it. I've got the guys from Pittsburgh Power, Ethan and John, are joining me today to help out. And we're going to get to your calls in just a little bit. Ethan, John, welcome back, guys. Hi, Kevin. Good to be here. Hi, Kevin. Great to have you here. We'll uh, we'll see in a minute if you guys want to start with anything. You know, um, a couple weeks ago, I brought up a topic that seemed pretty odd. The whole, uh, could we protect an electronic engine from an EMP? And I, I've been doing a ton of reading on prepping, and I know a lot of people think that's way out there, but... You know, I, I'm seeing a, an interesting example of why a little bit of preparation is a good thing. So I cook a lot. We always have a pantry full of food, but I have emergency food and MREs and freeze-dried food and extra water and filters and just stuff to be prepared. I live out in a little, you know, tiny little town out in the wilderness, kind of. Um, we have been getting more snow than I have seen since I lived up at 10,000 feet in Colorado. It was supposed to be on and off rain. And because the temperature just never warmed up, it is just pure snow. We're, we're getting feet in an area where most people just aren't ready. We don't have a lot of people that plow. We just never get this kind of snow. And when I was reading the books about, you know, a natural disaster or a terrorist strike or whatever it might be, I kept reading this statistic that most Americans would have a hard time surviving three days at home. And I thought, that's crazy. I mean, come on, how hard would it be to survive three days? But already, I mean, I'm checking with my neighbors. I've been shoveling my driveway every couple of hours to keep it clean. I have chains on the vehicles. And today we're about three days into this and I have neighbors who are calling, can't get out of their driveway and they're out of food. And after the show today, I'm going to be making multiple runs to the grocery store to help people out. Three days. That's crazy. That is crazy. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure I can make it three days. I don't really prepare. I'm, I just I have stuff. <laughs> I have canned food. Well, that's and, yeah, not my yeah. favorite stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. that's what I thought. I figured, you know, come on. Even if you're not really prepared, there's got to be something. But already, and they said within right. two or three days, people would start to panic because it's not that they're no, starving I mean, yet. They're, you know, maybe they don't right. have any bottled water. I mean, we still have water. We still have power. You just, it's tough getting around right now. That's what ramen noodles for there. The super <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's right. Just a, just something to think about because this is nothing but a little bit of bad weather. Now, the interesting thing is I'm completely prepared. I'm enjoying the hell out of this. It's beautiful. It's fun. I've been out four wheeling with the FJ Cruiser and 
blasting through snow drifts and, you know, people weren't shoveling. They can't get out of their driveway. They don't have any food. It's crazy. Just just get think about it just a little bit and be prepared. Same thing for guys in the truck. You look around the country right now, there are multiple highways being shut down. I mean, both interstates here in Oregon, we really only have two interstates in Oregon. For the most part, we have I-5 and 84. Other than that, there isn't much. And both of them have been shut down in the last week. So people are literally parked out on the road. Make sure you're prepared in the truck. Some food, some water, clothing, that kind of stuff. It doesn't take much to get prepared. But boy, it can make life a whole lot better when something like this hits. Yeah, for sure. So, All right. What do you so guys you a little have? FJ. Oh, yeah. Um, I love that. I don't know, one of the I, best I like vehicles. That's a, that's a beat little buggy. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. I had an old FJ. I had a 79 FJ. FJ you know, awesome. I, I actually want, I'm thinking about buying one of those. And I'm thinking about buying so one of those be. because if the EMP strikes, I won't have to worry about it. <laughs> it's got a carburetor. It's fine. <laughs> that's, that's <right. laughs> no electronics to right. be bothered there. You'll be good. Yeah. Yep, that thing would go right. anywhere. It was it was like a Jeep, but better. It really was. I don't yeah. know how to describe it. I mean, but it was just everything. Everything about it was better than a Jeep. So I'm probably yeah. gonna piss off some Jeep guys with that. But it was just awesome. And it, I sold it, it to a guy. Know, it, what's that? He completely ahead. screwed it up and put a small block Chevy in it and did all this crazy stuff to it, and it was better the way it was. I mean, it was. Uh, I said you, you couldn't even stop the thing the way it was, and now now he's got now it's got a. Yeah, I said it's got a small block Chevy in it, and it's lifted, and it's he's done all sorts of crazy stuff to it. So. It was you're right. It was better off the way it was. So mine's pretty stock, but mine, you know, it, it's a true transfer case, four wheel drive. It's got a locking rear differential, and with, I've got chains on it. That thing is going anywhere. If this gets stopped, then nobody's <laughs> getting around. That's awesome. That should be fun. We uh, I don't know what we have here new. Anything, Ethan? I, oh, did your, my, your, I installed my first soot trap. Uh, soot trap thing, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it seems to work. Um, the guy is thrilled with it. My test truck, uh, Tad Kelsey is his name, super nice guy. DD15 was a perfect candidate. He's on the truck since it was new. He takes good care of it. The engine's spotless. It's got 150000 on it. And he was running at about, I want to say point. His, his soot had come up. I looked at all of his old... Uh, 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 oil analysis, and it came up from, you know, it was usually 0.05, and it's like at 0.2 now uh, over over the time. So I'm curious to see if it drops at all with that, but he's noticed some unintended consequences. It appears to have picked up a little bit of fuel mileage, and it also has dropped EGT. So he's he said it's, it's down 150 degrees or so on the EGT, which I, I got to believe it if we're catching, you know, some of the particulate matter in that EGR, that, that can't be good for combustion and everything I've been reading about EGR says it's not, but we still have the benefit of the, the, the carbon, uh, uh, dioxide going in to, to help cool the, uh, cool the charge, which is what you try to do with, that's the whole reason for, for EGR is to, to cool the uh, combustion process. So that still works, but we're catching the dirt and uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to see, he's going to, he's going to dump the thing in about a week and we're going to see how much stuff we caught in it. And we'll go from there. But, well, I uh, saw he, the he's a, he's, after what, what was like yeah. 10 miles, and there was soot in there. That's amazing. Yeah, it was 10 miles. Yeah. yeah. Well, it turns out the stuff 
when, when that exhaust goes through that cooler, it drops to below boiling, right? So it picks up moisture. Moisture is a, is a byproduct of combustion. And I didn't realize how much that stuck the, the, the carbon together. So they, those were like little balls if you looked at them closely, so, and they were moist. Right. So that stuff actually has more weight than I realized. So it's, it's easier to catch it than, than, than I thought it would be. Interesting. So, and I have to compliment you. It's a beautiful looking piece. You'd never know it wasn't factory. It looks like it belongs there. Well, thanks. Yeah, that's, I, I fabbed that all up myself. That was that was fun. I, I enjoy uh, I enjoy TIG welding, and I love working with stainless. The stainless is really fun to work with. So it was there was achieve there was a look that I was trying to achieve. I'm, I'm kind of into aesthetics, so I think I got it. That was really what I was got trying it. to do with it. Yeah, you got it. It looks awesome. So we're excited about that. That may uh, that could become a big thing. We'll see. I mean, if we've got some, you know, engine health conscious fleets, you know, mid-sized fleets or so forth that, you know, have to run the EGR engines and guys get to California. Uh, we filled out all the paperwork for a carb executive order already on it, which shouldn't be a problem. Um, I need to do some emissions testing on it. I'm sure, if anything, there's going to be an improvement in emissions, so that, that shouldn't be an issue. It'll be less taxing if we're catching some of that carbon on the way into the engine. That's less that the DPF is going to have to burn off, so that should... Uh, should result in fewer regens. It should result in fewer check engine lights. It should be pretty pretty big deal. You, you would really think so because soot is part of the problem in so many of the things we see. Like you said, the regens, the oil not lasting as long, all of those things. So get the soot out of the equation. Everything should get better. Have you figured out yet like how many different versions of this you're going to have to build? No, I haven't yet. The DD15, DD13 all look to be about the same. That's that's probably going to be the first one I go after. And then the, the biggest offender on soot, that's just because that's the most popular engine out there right now. And the next one I'm going to do is going to be the ISX. And uh, we've got one coming in in a couple of weeks. We're going to do a brand new ISX. And that'll be it. And then uh, the pack car, I want to do one for the pack car as well. And, of course, the Series 60. I've got one sitting on my desk right now waiting for a Series 60 to put it on. Oh, good. But, uh, good. Yeah, so those are going to be the four for right now. I think that'll pretty much cover what we need to, and if I have to do a custom one, that'll be fine too. Uh, yeah. It won't be all that different. I mean, it's all going to be fitment, you know, just the, just the plumbing on the way in and out. Right, right. Okay. The part itself. Well, good same. stuff. There, there's the music. Let's get to a break. We'll come back. We'll get to your phone calls and questions. We'll be right back. Stick around. I'm Kevin Roth.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got Ethan and John with me from Pittsburgh Power, and we're going to get to your calls and questions. Let's head off to Virginia. Joe, welcome to the program. Uh, how's everybody doing? Good. Good. How are you? Oh, pretty good. Um, I got a, well, hopefully it's a quick question. Um, I got a C12 cat. Uh, I got 1.2 million miles, and uh, I have a head, head gasket issue. So I need to know or get some ideas on how should I proceed for it because I know a truck with that many miles on it, is there anything else I need to do extra if we go in the engine like that? Well, how's your oil consumption right now? Um, I'm putting in about a, uh, I would say a couple of gallons every uh, 15 to 20,000 miles. Oh, that's not too bad. So if you're not consuming a lot of oil, you may just repair the head or, or put the head gasket on. Uh, have the head checked to make sure it's not cracked while you have it off. Uh, cats are kind of notorious for cracking cylinder heads. So do that. But, uh, you know, I, I would, if you're, you're happy with it, if it's running well, you've got good oil pressure, you're not consuming a lot of oil, just go ahead and do the uh, do the head gasket. You'll also All be right. able to see the cylinders in there yeah. whenever you take it apart because we, we took one apart with a mil, you know, just about a million miles on it and the cylinders still look brand new. So yep. we just put it back to put the head on it. And, yeah, that C12 is a nice little engine. Those things hold up well. Okay. All right, because, I, I mean, that's, that's what I was thinking, but I, you know, I just wanted to get some, some better advice. Yeah, play it but by I, ear. You know, you're going to have to, you know, have, have your eyes open when you open it up and take a look at everything and decide because you don't want to pay double labor. You don't want to put a head on it or do a head gasket and, you know, 200,000 miles or less than a year from now end up doing a rebuild on the engine. So right. you already have half the labor covered right now. So, you, you know, you might want to be prepared to do more whenever you do take it apart. Right. But uh, it's a judgment call always. It's always a judgment call. But if you're, you know, if that kind of oil consumption, you're not too bad. I, okay. I'd probably uh, lean toward uh, putting just putting a head on it. All right. Well, I appreciate it. That's about all I had. No problem. All right. Good stuff. Let's head off to Wisconsin. Eric, welcome to the program. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Hey, thanks uh, very much for all the knowledge you share with us out here. I greatly appreciate it. My question today is um, I've got a 2012 International Pearl Star. Uh, it's got the Max Force 13 engine in it. And when I'm going down the road, uh, it, it doesn't really matter if I'm heavily loaded or I've just got a light load, 10,000, 20,000 pounds, but my turbo uh, occasionally starts to waver, almost like you have a B on the turbo and they're just turning it back and forth. Have any ideas on that? Usually a boost leak. I'm not that familiar with that engine. We don't really work on those. But generally when you get that surge or that back and forth on the on the turbo, especially if it's a – does that have a VG turbo on it? I believe um, it does. Not sure. Okay. Uh, so it's going to hunt. It's going to look to to make a specific amount of boost and try to. So if you've got a little leak, it'll 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 hunt like that. So before you get too carried away, that's what I do. And and check uh, sensors as well, like your uh, boost pressure sensor. Make sure the computer's getting good information. How many miles are on a truck? So many. Uh, four hundred and forty thousand, roughly. 
Yeah, I, I still check the boost sensor to make sure it's not plugged up. Make sure it's not carboned up, yeah. There we go with our carbon on our... Maybe I need to make one for Max Force, too, my, my soap trap. <laughs> Just thought about that. <laughs> you make a lot of money. <laughs> All right, thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it. You're welcome. You're welcome. We're off to... Uh, California. Keith, welcome to the program. How you guys doing today? Hey, um, Good. I've got a, a 2015 Peterbilt 579, and I recently got for Christmas a Super Ninja to make smoothies in the truck. I've got the Zentex power inverter, and the other day I made my first smoothie in the truck, and later that night when I started driving with the headlights on, the the uh, low voltage on the battery light came on, and the truck within five minutes was completely dead in the water. Uh, they came out and put new batteries in the truck, and I was able to drive it back, but it, the alternator was also dead. Okay, so I'm wondering, did, is it possible that that Nutra Ninja somehow killed my alternator, or is it a coincidence? The truck has 175,000 miles. It's possible. I don't know. What do you think, Ethan? It, it could just be a coincidence. I think it's a coincidence, though. Yeah, you, you lost something went in the alternator. You 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 probably loaded it. You may have loaded it more than it had ever been loaded before. Who knows? But uh, yeah, when they came up with batteries, it wouldn't that the symptom and not the cause? Yeah. It wouldn't it wouldn't kill the inverter before it would kill the alternator necessarily. So um, I'm afraid to use the thing again now. So. Not necessarily. Yeah, depending on how you have it wired up and where you have the inverter wired to. Does it go straight to the batteries? Yes. It does, okay. So that should be a buffer between yeah, and the alternator. Yeah, and the, the Nutri Ninja is 900 watts, so it's not as small. I mean, it's a beast. I'm wondering if I should wow. get a less powerful blender. Uh, what, what's your inverter rated at? I mean, if everything's put together um, correctly, all the pieces, it should work. Nine thousand. Oh, it worked. Crazy. Yeah, <laughs> no, nine hundred watt motor. Nine hundred watt still. Nine hundred still. Yeah. Okay. That yeah. It's, what is it? What, it's a. What do you have like a twenty-five? You have like a twenty-five hundred watt inverter. How big is your inverter? You know, I tried to look at it. I could see the the name on it, and I've got the owner's manual, but it showed a, a few different ones, so I don't know which one's actually in there. Um. But if I'm not mistaken, it was installed by the factory, so I don't I don't really know which model it is. Okay. And I was driving the but truck. Yeah, I found the owner's manual, but it, it mentioned a different more than one inverter, so I don't know which one it is. It should be able to handle that. That that shouldn't have been. I think it's a coincidence. So if I try it again and blow up another alternator, then then we'll know, I guess. Well, then you'll know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. The smoothie now. was great, though. I mean, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. That's all that matters. You got a good smoothie. Who cares if the truck runs? I've got friends who have a gas-powered, uh, have, a, have a blender with a weed whacker engine on it for making margaritas at tailgates. So you might need there one of those go. instead. There you go. For making your smoothie. Yeah. That's right. All right. Let's see. We've got time in this segment for another call. Let's go to Florida. Chris, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. How you doing? Good. What's on your mind today? Um, 
Yeah, I actually called in for a really simple question, but a couple of your callers kind of raised some other issues for me. Um, just really quick on that Ninja, um, I've been told by other drivers that you you need to have a pure sign inverter for those. I'm not sure if that has anything to do with it, but I just want to throw that out there. Um, yeah, let, and then let me my original that. question. Let me address that real okay. quick. The difference between, a, a, let's call it a standard inverter or a sine wave and a pure sine wave is just how clean the voltage is. So it's, it doesn't fluctuate a lot. So that is designed to protect not the truck engine or anything to do with the truck electronics. It's protecting the appliance itself. So if you've got sensitive electronics, computers, phones, that kind of stuff, you, you always want to use a pure sine wave. I'm not sure that an electric motor like a blender, it would be all that critical. That shouldn't be. Yeah, I just threw it out because I guess they are pretty high powered and that's what I've been told. But uh, I, I, I tend to agree. I think it would have more harm on the uh, the actual appliance. But um, my original question, um, I, I'd like you to answer that second, though. Um, but I just want to put it out there because I think my second question is going to be a little bit more entailed. Uh, my first question is just about Lucas. Um, you know, like in the winter, I'm, I'm idling my truck a lot. I got a, a pre-EGR ISX. Um, and I, I put Lucas, I had a six NZ in the past and I put Lucas in there one time. Um, and it seemed to help with the uh, oil consumption. It seems when I idle my engine a lot, I, I have a lot more oil consumption. Um, but when I put my oil sample into Polaris, um, one of the tests, you know, kind of, you know, told me that I absolutely should not put Lucas in there. He said it, it the viscosity becomes too high for the engine and it could cause problems. And I just wanted to see what your opinion on that was. Um, but what I'm actually more interested in asking now regarding the caller with the uh, C12 is I have a very similar situation to him. I have a, C, a C15 6NZ, um, and I've had it into Pittsburgh Power quite a lot, and it's got 1.3 million miles on it. Uh, it uses about a gallon of oil every 12, 13,000 miles. Um, extremely very, very clean oil samples. Um, I got in a situation last year around Christmas time where I was getting a lot of back pressure. I blew a, a cap off the coolant reservoir and it was using coolant. Um, I did an oil sample. There was no cross contamination, but I was getting about 20 PSI, uh, coming out of there. Um, and I spoke several times to Bruce and some of the other guys at Pittsburgh power. And they basically told me, um, you know, it could be a cracked head or um, blown head gasket or something like that. But, I mean, their words were. Hold, hold that thought. We're going to get to a break. We'll come right back, and we'll talk about that right after this break. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rothbard.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got Ethan and John from Pittsburgh Power helping me out, and we are talking to Chris in Florida. Chris, go ahead. Um, yeah, and they, they basically told me that I was crazy if I didn't rebuild the engine. They they were telling me that, you know, I took the risk of throwing a rod or causing, like, critical damage to the engine just by replacing the head or the head gasket with that many miles on it. I mean, they saw my oil samples. They saw what my uh, oil – or they knew what my oil consumption was, things like that. And, and it sounds to me like they're giving the guy with the C12, like, pretty much, you know, the opposite advice. So I'm just – I'm really curious about that because I didn't have the 20 grand to rebuild it at the time. I had about 10 grand and I needed that for operating. Um, so I ended up going out and buying this other truck with the ISX in it. And that truck's just kind of saving up my money to get it rebuilt. But uh, I'm really curious about that. Yeah, I don't know. Who, I don't know who would have told you that. It certainly wasn't me. I mean, there are some different philosophies rolling around under this roof here, but, uh, yeah, I mean, if you don't have another problem, I, I personally, you know, million three, I've seen, I've seen those six NZs go um, two million miles with, without a rebuild. So I would definitely not uh, hesitate to just put a head on yours at a million three. Okay. So. Um, yeah. yeah sorry, I mean, it was it was yeah. exactly yeah. it was exactly a year ago. It was last January, and I spent I spent the month going through it. I mean, you guys tried to hook me up with your um the finance company that you work with and i mean i just wasn't going to do that they wanted like a ridiculous amount of um a ridiculous amount of interest and interest, i wasn't yeah, going to yeah, do that yeah. and it it was it was interesting because i had just put um your turbo and your manifold on it like about six weeks earlier and i i've kind of been thinking that just putting that tur i mean because my my manifold needed to be replaced and my turbo was damaged so i just went ahead and put your guys's on it and I've kind of been thinking ever since that just that added that added power from that turbo and manifolds might have been what pushed it over the edge. Like, you know, that older engine, you know, that extra stress on it. Um, and, I mean, I went through it for a month. I didn't – I mean, I spent every day on this last January trying to figure out what to do. And uh, so, I mean, I definitely spoke with, with you guys quite a few times about it. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm so, yeah, but it definitely would have been, uh, you know, if your oil analysis were all good, if you're not consuming more oil than you like it. Again, like I told the previous, uh, you know, be ready for more once you get that head off. You don't know what you're going to see there until you take it apart. But uh, I personally wouldn't have, have, have had a problem with just uh, either doing the gasket or it's probably going to need a cylinder head. The cat heads are pr prone to cracking. And I don't believe right. it, unless you're tuned no, – Unless your tune's hotter, that our turbo and manifold doesn't do a whole lot more than the stock if you don't do some tuning to go with it. So I don't think that would add any yeah, interest. It just breathes a little bit easier, and it should have been that. That should not have been a, you know, a contributing factor in the in the cylinder head cracking or the head gasket blowing. Okay, I mean, I I definitely um, it definitely breathed a lot better. It definitely had more power. You know, I was using a lot less boost going up hills and stuff like that. Um, so I mean, I was, I was really happy with it, but I just kind of thought maybe those, you know, higher performance parts on an older engine like that might've, might've stressed it a little too much. And that's actually um, stressing the engine less. The, the, the internal pressures in the engine go down with that boost number. So that little extra breathing and the little extra power you felt were just from efficiency, not from actually putting more load, you know, inside the cylinder. So especially if you're running with, okay. you know, if you saw lower boost numbers at an equivalent of performance, it definitely was, you were not taxing the engine any harder because of that. 
But uh, yeah, I mean, on. I'd consider like like I said, you know, be ready. Uh, you don't want to take it apart and not be ready to do more. Uh, so that's that's that again. That would be my philosophy on it. And I'm sorry if uh, someone here we got to do the whole end of buying another truck. So that's. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, I even, I actually even spoke to Bruce quite a few times. I mean, Bruce and I kind of, um, um, he, he was working with some guy in China, I speak Chinese, and he was working with a guy in China about selling some engines over there. So we, we kind of hit it off on that and we're discussing that a little. So he knows who I am and everything. Um, and when I called him, I, remember I spoke that, to him about it. Yeah. yeah. But okay, well, what about the Lucas? What, what are you guys' thoughts on that? What's your opinion on that? How many miles are on the ISX? Um, it's getting close to a million. Okay. Now, I, I, I have an idea on this, and it's, you know, from reading lots and lots of oil samples and, you know, always going after fuel economy, I, I like the lightest viscosity oil I can get away with. And having said that, there are times when I love Lucas. When you get fuel dilution... Lucas is excellent to protect the engine if you have coolant intrusion until you can get it fixed. And when you've got an old worn out engine that's just burning a lot of oil, thicken up the viscosity, you'll buy some life on the engine and you won't burn as much oil. Other than that, if the engine's healthy and not burning a lot of oil, I wouldn't use it. Okay, even if you're, even if you're, it just tends to me, under normal circumstances when I'm not idling, it doesn't use much oil again, like about a gallon every 10, 12,000 miles. That's when I do my oil changes. Um, but when I'm idling in that same period of time, I'll maybe go through two gallons of added oil. Uh, is there something about idling that causes you to to burn more oil? Is it, should you idle at a higher RPM? I've been told that because maybe the oil doesn't get kicked around as much or, or how does that work? I've never really seen that. I've never seen a healthy engine that... I, burn oil when you were driving there, there but didn't. No. yeah there should be no correlation I, I don't believe that it'll burn any more or less at idle than it, than it does uh in fact in and out of the power is when you're gonna have some oil consumption more so than an idle steady state like that it's your consumption should probably if any if anything be at, at its minimum okay um I, that's that's interesting because I mean I had the exact opposite experience with both um, the last winters because I don't have APU on either one of the trucks and there's no question so in the winter time because I, I don't yeah because I don't really idle in the summer I just deal with the heat for the most part I stay up north and whatnot but uh, in the winter time there's just no question you have to idle um, and uh, definitely my oil consumption went up. Both in the six MV and in the size X, yeah. Interesting, yeah. That's. Uh... Yeah, I guess okay. I, I've never. Well, I just thought... I can't really think of anything that would cause that. Me either. The cylinder pressures are lower. Yeah. Well, even on the oh, even on the bottle of Lucas, it, even on even on the bottle of Lucas, it says something about um, cold cold weather idling and and. Uh, preventing against like scoring the um, cylinders, things like that. I mean, it, it actually says that right on the bottle as one of the. Oh yeah, that's because that's because there is a little it. less, a little less splashing at idle, so there's a little less windage. So 
so the extra film strength on okay. the will help protect that when there's not as much oil flying around in there. There's also more hours on the oil when you're idling in the winter. <laughs> Even though you're still yeah. going the same That's amount true. of miles, the truck, the, the yeah. hours on the oil is going to be much higher. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's where your extra oil consumption is coming from. Okay. Yeah, that makes time, sense. Not the mileage. Yeah, I, I could, I could, I could, I could believe that. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate your time, guys. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's squeeze uh, in another one this segment. Let's go to. Michigan, Nick. Welcome to the program. Oh. Yeah. Sorry about that. I'm trying to change the tire on a loader here. Um, I also got a C12 here. I'm doing a head gasket on, so I got the. Uh, Hi, Nick. How are you? Uh, good. How you guys getting along? Um, good. I got a got the oil filter housing all off. Clean that up because it pumps water all through the system. That uh, looks like it's got a spot for another filter. Does anybody make a filter to go on there? Is that for like a bypass filter or is that just a cap that spins on there for no reason? On the C12, do you no know? Idea. All right. Yeah, yeah I, it's I, right next to the. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be brutally honest yeah, with you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I just wondered doing, if. What, what did you end up doing with I your glider? Um, well, it was sitting for a while. I've been running it a little bit. Been trying to run this other truck. Um, trying to figure out. I put bearings in it. And we're just running it. See what happens for now. Um. Okay. You just do that every hundred thousand. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um. But uh, <laughs> I also got uh, um, I got a crankshaft dampener and a balance from you guys last week. Um. Yep. The balancer, I don't believe, is going to work on this engine, unless I'm looking at it wrong but it goes on you'd put the balancer on first and then the dampener correct yes like on the you do that okay well the yep. cover for the front seal has bolts sticking out of it so when you slide the balancer on there it hits some bolts right away it hits those bolts okay yeah, yeah do you ever run into that problem yeah yeah we've, we've okay. had a few applications but we can't get the balancer on there that's just go ahead and send that back we'll credit you for it all right all right, well, I'll send it back. Yep. All right, let's uh, let's get to a break. We'll come right back. We've got one more segment. We're going to get to your calls and questions right after this. Stick around. Kevin Rothbard. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're down to the final segment. We're going to get right back to the phone calls. This is the Power Hour. I've got Ethan and John with me from Pittsburgh Power, and we're going to get back to your calls. We're going to head off to Pennsylvania. Tom, welcome to the program. Hey, how's it going, guys? Good. What can we Good. help you with? 
Uh, I have a question about fuel mileage. Um, summertime, I'm getting around five and a half, uh, six. Uh oh. Hey, Tom. Tom, come back to your yeah. phone. Oh, sorry that uh, my headset switched over to the uh, to the truck. There you, Can go. you guys hear me now? That's better. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I have a 2001 Peterbilt 379. It's got the C15 engine. Uh, it's a car carrier. I got about 120,000 miles on a out of frame rebuild. Um. Now, winter time, I'm getting around three and a half, four miles to the gallon. Is that is that something I should be worried about, or is that normal? Yes, that's not normal. Not unless you're pulling around 150,000 <laughs> pounds uphill most of the time. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm I'm usually around uh, almost at 80, 70, between 70 and 80, pretty much all the time. And what are the specs on this truck? Uh, so what do you mean? What was the the engine? It's a C15, engine. uh, 500, 550. Transmission and rear ends. Uh, I got an 18 speed and, uh, differentials are 355s. And how fast are you driving most of the time? Most of the time around 64, 65. And what part of the country do you spend most of your time? Uh, East Coast, Pennsylvania. So you've got, you know, depending on what road you're on, you've got a lot of those short, steep climbs that certainly are hard on fuel economy. But if you just called me, gave me all the specs and said, here's how I drive it, here's what I'm doing, I would say we should easily just stock, no modifications, no nothing. We should be somewhere between five and a half and six. That, that would be normal, what we would expect. If you're down that low, something has gone wrong. Yeah, a lot of our C15s are in the mid-sixes, low to mid-sixes, and you don't get a whole lot better than that, to be honest with you. I've seen very few that do really well. I mean, if they're doing really well, it's because of the driver. Driver and... Well, it's a caterpillar. They, they burn a lot of fuel. Yep. I mean, you just, just get used to it. No, that, that, that's not what true. What was your fuel mileage before? Yeah. I, I, I want to address that. Well, that is absolutely not true. Averaging around five and a half six. Which is more six. normal? Consistently. Yeah, yeah, consistently in, in the summertime. And it just dropped to to what here in the wintertime? Uh, last trip I averaged three and a half. No, that's yeah, there's that's, something really wrong. Uh, have you got that's horrible. What year? What year is it? <laughs> Two thousand one. Oh, so we're talking about a 6NZ. No. 6NZ. A one right. Yeah, that should be fun. 6NZ. So I, I would actually, I thought we were talking about an Acer. So really, I would expect you yeah, just bone stop to be at six yeah. or six and a half. Yeah, you should be about six and a half for that. Uh, do you have a boost gauge in this truck? Yes. You do, and where is it normally running? Uh, Going hard up a hill, 28. Should do better. That's kind of low. I'm willing yeah. to bet that you've got uh, those exhaust uh, uh, the exhaust manifold gaskets have this cone in them. They come loose and lodge themselves in the manifold from time to time. 
And we've had a couple in here that guys were complaining about seriously low mileage, and it turns out those those would come loose and, and lodge themselves in there and restricted the exhaust. I'd take a look, you know, first look for a boost leak, and then look for any kind of exhaust restriction or any restriction anywhere. I mean, in the intake as well. But I would uh, take a close look. I'd probably pull the turbo and manifold off and look around there. Okay, now as it should be better than that on like boost too, shouldn't it? To increase a little bit, mileage. like I mean, thirty-two or so. Well, before I would even Bod-wise? think about modifying, there, there's a ton of things you can do to that six NZ in that truck. That instead of getting six or six and a half, we can get you up to seven and a half or eight or even better. But before you even think about modifications, you've got to figure out what the problem is first. No sense in modifying an engine that's yeah, not yeah. running right. Yeah, you're not going to mod right, your way right. out of this one. Yeah, you need to get it right first. Okay. So first lo- first thing I'd do is look for boost leaks. Second thing I would do is look for exhaust leaks or restriction of the exhaust. Okay. All right, that maybe would... I'll uh, give you guys a call. Maybe if I'm out towards yeah, the Yeah, see if you can get by. Area, I'll uh, drop it in. Just All right, guys, to... Yeah, just to give you a little incentive to get that in quickly and get it done, you're probably losing somewhere between $500 and $1,000 a month right now. And and I'm not talking about getting any kind of modifications. Just getting it back to normal would save you $500 to $1,000 a month. So you don't want to wait on this. Uh, It's just getting more expensive every day. So get it in quick. Let's go to Texas. Chuck, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you. Um, first of all, I was raised in the country, and 35 years ago, we just call it being prepared, not prepping. But <laughs> it, it's a it's That's weird not. how people think the word prepping is a. Uh, they look at you sideways. What's wrong with being prepared? Now, I just want you to know, throw that out. Then my question. I, I agree. Go ahead. Let, let me. Yeah, I I completely agree. And I've always been somewhat prepared, you know, some food, some water, that kind of stuff. But the more I look at it, the more long term kind of preparation I'm doing. And you're right. You bring this up in a group of people. They look at you like you have three heads. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But the people that need to prepare more are the people in the cities like Katrina or places where they have a lot of snow where you are. I'm lucky in Central Texas, I don't have, unless I do have an EMP, there's not a whole lot. We don't even have a lot of tornadoes where I'm at. But I'm prepared, and the people that should be prepared, they're not. And they're asking their neighbors, you got food. You Can you get me somewhere? You know that. So, anyway, to my question... I drive a 99 truck with a 127 Detroit. And so my question is, would I be better off keeping this truck and modifying it to try to get the most, I want to get fuel economy, but I want horsepower. I'm I'm always at a legal load. I'm I'm always close to 80. you know, I just got back from Salt Lake City, so, I'll, you know, I, I don't do that on a regular, regular basis. I usually go from Houston north, but there's still hills, so I, I would like power. And this little 12.7, uh, 
uh, I just love it how I, I see why Bruce calls it the Sea Biscuit. It's amazing what this truck does, and you know, and uh, being a being a 12.7 liter and a and a 10 speed. I, I went to full load to Salt Lake City and back, and I was just totally impressed. But I want a little more power, and I want a little more economy. So where does horsepower and torque come in? I want that torque. So basically, where's the balance? Well, that's a, that's that's the million dollar question there. Uh, we, you know, we give you power, and quite often people see increase in fuel economy as well, simply because of the momentum, and they're able to learn how to drive it and use the power when they need it, and back it back down when they don't, and uh, go up the hills a little slower, even though you don't have to. You know, there there are ways to to make your engine, you know, get get some fuel mileage without actually, you know, and still increase the horsepower. With that particular engine, the biggest uh, gain we've seen is with our VG turbo system. So we broadened the torque band a lot, and you downshift less, and you're quite often in a, in a higher gear. And you could run the thing down to like 1,200 RPM pretty easily. I know that scares some people, but it, it'll do it. So, you know, but just simply yeah. by knocking the RPM down, uh, you know, you've got uh, some efficiency gain there. So that's the biggest jump we've seen. Uh, some of our tuning will pick it up a little bit too. So it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a fine line. It's really hard to... Uh, you know, I guess we get too much. I mean, we get ones that are really cranked up. They just never get fuel mileage. But generally, if the engine's efficient, burning efficiently, and, you know, with that VG turbo, we've been able to, uh, you know, increase the combustion efficiency. And that's definitely helped with the fuel mileage as well and broaden the torque curve. So a little careful tuning and uh, even, believe it or not, the power box, which actually adds fuel, that we've seen fuel mileage increases if you run it on the lower settings just because of the momentum. You're able to... Speed it up a little bit and slow it down a little bit when you when you need to, or and, and not drop a gear from time to time, and uh, so so you'll find some some gains there as well. But uh, like I said, that's a careful. There's no. Yep, there we go. We're all out of time. We'll do it again next week. You've been listening to the Power Hour, Ethan and John from Pittsburgh Power. Thank you guys as always. Great answers, good stuff, and we'll see you next time. Be safe. Be profitable. Be prepared. Always do the hard work and master the journey. Kevin Rothenberg. Thanks for tuning in to the Audio Road. If you have any questions, give us a call at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Check out the website at letstruck.com and find us on facebook.com slash letstruck.